Our message this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. These are the words of God. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves. Our Lord and God, we pray, open your word to us by the power of the Spirit, that we would be transformed and bear your likeness to the world. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've taken a break for several weeks from our series on words to teens, but today we return to it. And in this series, I want to remind you young people, teenagers, that I'm not talking about you here. I'm talking directly to you, even as the book of Proverbs does. And one of the things that we've seen is that the various temptations that we face as young men or young ladies uh, involve things that we are naturally attracted to. And the things that we are naturally attracted to as young men or as young women are not always the exact same things, or they do not always present themselves the same way. The things that are particularly attracting and attempt, uh, 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 tempting to young men are things that appeal to them as men. Things that basically say to them, here's how to be a man. Here's how to feel like a man. You do this and you will be the man. And the things that are particularly attempt, tempting to young ladies are the things that basically say to you, this will make you a woman. This will make you feel like a woman. This will fulfill you and make you happy as a woman. And when we're dealing with things related to women, it seems that all of them come back to the theme, the very important biblical theme of beauty. God made women so that they bear a special relationship to beauty which men do not bear. It is the opposite of the animal world. In the animal world, it is almost invariably the male who is the beautiful one, the colorful one, the glorious one, and the female is plain and drab. But God, by his design, he wants this to stand out to us, reverses that when it comes to his images, to his children, to his sons and daughters. In the animal world, the male is his own glory. With God's image, it is not so. The man is not his own glory. The woman is his glory. And so it is the woman who is the beautiful one. And it is the men who are plain and drab. So women cannot get away from this embedded relationship that God has created you with regard to beauty. There is no way away from it. Sin does not involve the creation of something that is new and evil. Sin always involves taking something that God made very good, very glorious, very beautiful, and just twisting it, perverting it, pushing it too far, hamstringing it, holding it back, turning it upside down, making it toward a different purpose, divor divorcing it from God and life as he created it. And that's where all the damage and the pain and so forth that we see in life comes from. Not making something new, but taking something good and twisting and perverting it. And that is what happens with the issue of beauty with women. This relationship you have to beauty, this attraction that you have for beauty, this capacity that you have for, for beauty is all good. It is God-given. 
But in a fallen world, these things get twisted and perverted. Now here, what I want us to see with the, the Apostle Peter speaking here is that his basic command is for women to adorn themselves. God created you for beauty. You are to adorn yourself so that that beauty is accentuated. And he's following exactly what Paul does here. The basic command is always to adorn yourself. Women are made for adornment in a way that men are not. Peter's goal, like Paul's, is to maximize beauty, not to limit it. And I want you to notice here that Peter is not addressing the sphere of adornment. He is not saying, women, adorn your heart, not your body. That's not what he's addressing. He's addressing the direction of adornment from the heart to the body. Peter addresses how to adorn the heart, which is the most important thing that you can know, girls, is how to adorn your heart. If you adorn your heart, it's not the only thing you're going to do. But beauty is going to flow downhill from that. Everything is going to fall into place if you adorn the heart in the way that God intended. A beautiful heart, girls, is the most beautiful adornment you can have. An adorned heart is like the light in a jewelry case. If you go to a jeweler, you know how they have those special lights in the jewelry case that just make all the jewels pop. That's what adorning the heart does. It makes everything else in your light shine. Now, you may already be thinking, as I'm saying these things to you, that, well, you know, that's just the sort of thing a preacher would say. Adorn the heart. What else is he going to say? He's a preacher. He's supposed to say that kind of thing. But I want to assure you, I want to assure you based on the authority of God and his word, but I also want to assure you based on my personal experience I've been around for a while. I've raised five daughters. I have seen a lot of situations as a pastor. I've been involved in a lot of situations. And I want to assure you that these things are true. And just so you know, I'm not going to save this to the back end of the sermon. I want to bring it right up front because I want to make this relevant and practical to you. Let me give you an example of the kind of things that I have personally seen. I have seen several instances where I have known the young man involved, and I've known the young ladies who were involved. They're all Christians. And I knew that there were two young ladies who were interested in this young Christian guy. And they're both hoping that he is going to be interested in them. Okay? And in both cases, this was a really outstanding young man. And what happened was not what you would suspect. Because in these instances, one of the girls has been clearly, objectively prettier than the other girl. I mean, it's just, that's just the way it is. And in both cases, several cases that I've seen, the guy picked the other girl. The girl who was not the prettiest one. He picked that one because of a certain quality of heart that shone forth through that girl. And that quality of heart is what Peter is talking about here. So in case you think this is just Bible stories 
about spiritual stuff that doesn't really affect the real world. I'm telling you, that's not true. I've seen this take place. Because this quality that Peter says here is very precious in the sight of God. That's the way he puts it, very precious in the sight of God. It is also extremely attractive to men. Now, men who aren't godly, men who aren't walking with God, don't know enough to pay attention and to pick up on it. But godly young men who are walking with God, who are listening to the word of God, who are walking that way, which is the only kind of guy you want, because that's the only kind of guy who can really love you and make you happy, that guy is going to pick up on it. And it's going to rule the day. What is this quality of heart? Peter calls it a gentle and quiet spirit in verse 4. This is how Peter describes the beautiful inner person of the heart that he's talking about. He says it's very precious in the sight of God. And like I just said, it is also very attractive to men. So what is this thing that Peter calls a gentle and quiet spirit? Well, let me first say what it is not, and this is important. A gentle and a quiet spirit is not a certain kind of personality. Peter is not here referring to a girl who is introverted or shy, or reserved, or weak, or bland. This girl can be outgoing, extroverted, and have some real metal, and still have the qualities that Peter is talking about here. Gentle and quiet here are spiritual qualities, not personality traits. The word gentle really is the idea of what the Bible calls meekness. Meekness rhymes with weakness, but the two have absolutely nothing to do with one another. Jesus was the meekest man who ever lived. He was also the most powerful man and the strongest man who ever lived. The idea of meekness, the essence of it, is not being a limp noodle. It is a person who is completely yielded to God. Meekness is what causes Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane to say, Not my will but thy will be done. Was that weak or was that strong, I ask you? Well, that was meekness. Quiet means tranquil. It means peaceful. So putting the two together, we have a heart that is at rest, that is yielded to God because it is anchored in God. This heart is not wavering. This heart is not searching. This heart is not desperate or disturbed or discontent, or needy. This heart, this anchored heart, this obedient heart, this peaceful heart is very precious in the sight of God and produces, according to verse 4, an incorruptible beauty that colors everything else in your life. Unlike outer beauty, this beauty does not fade with age, but indeed increases throughout life. Well, the question then is how do you get this heart. Well, the key to a gentle and quiet spirit is given to us in verse 5, and that is trust in God. Trust in God. Trusting God is the only thing that can produce this heart that Peter is talking about. He says, this is how mothers of the faith adorned themselves in ancient times in a world that was much more volatile than our own. One of the ones who's given As an example, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and Sarah was known for being a strikingly beautiful woman uh, visually. 
But the Bible tells us that she was even more beautiful. Her, her beauty didn't start with the outside. Her beauty started on the inside with the heart. She had this quiet and gentle spirit. She was a sinner. She wasn't perfect. But her heart was at rest. It was tranquil because she trusted in the God who called her and her husband to go out to a place where they didn't even know where they were going. Now, when you start with the outside and you simply try to make the outside beautiful in a way that is detached from the inside, you're going to end up perverting beauty. Because in the Bible, remember, beauty is a form of power. And you're going to want to use that beauty and use that power in a twisted way. You're going to be trying to manipulate attention, trying to use uh, sexually provocative looks and so forth, which is the way to get the most immediate results, okay, to use it for ends that it is not intended. Proverbs describes that as a, a pig with a gold ring in the snout. He said, this is what a woman is like who lacks a discretion, who starts with the outside and wants to see how much effect she can create. Instead of starting with the inside and where her heart is anchored and then letting that flow outward. The gold ring may be beautiful, but I ask you, what is bigger? What is more important? The gold ring or the pig that's wearing it? That's what happens when you go the wrong way around. So the only thing that can produce this heart is trust in God. Trusting God is essential to any kind of true submission, whether that's to God himself or to God's appointed human authority. Well, the question then arises, why do not all women have this quality? Why don't all Christian women have this quality? And the answer in one word is fear. Fear is the enemy of trust, and it is the arch enemy of women. In the very next verse, verse 6 in our text, he says that it is fear that trips women up. Fear of what? Well, it tells us fear of the things that frighten. All sorts of things, all sorts of fears, anxieties, and insecurities. Fear of this nature is the opposite of trust. Fear is what makes women want to panic and to grasp and to take control of the wheel and play their cards as best they can. Men tend to want to grab and control because they lust. The basic orientation of men is to want, want, want. The basic orientation of women is to want to be wanted, wanted, wanted. Guys want to desire, guys desire to desire, women desire to be desired. That in and of itself is not wrong. That's the way that God wired us. What's wrong is in a fallen world when either the desire to desire, the want to want, or the want to be wanted gets detached from God, twisted and perverted. Men want to grab and control their environment because they lust. They want, they want, they want. They want this car. They want this job. They want this girl. They want this. They want that. They want all of these things. Women tend to want to grab and control because they fear. They are afraid of what will happen to them if they don't control their environment and those close to them. Fear produces the opposite of a trusting, resting, yielded, peaceful heart. Fear is what makes a woman, it tends to make a woman, what Proverbs continually tells men to avoid. A contentious woman, who is a woman that is stirred up 
and agitated in her heart because she doesn't trust God. And Proverbs warns about this girl again and again. Proverbs 21.9, better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. 21.19, better to dwell in the wilderness than when a contentious and angry woman. Proverbs 25.24, it's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house with a contentious woman. Proverbs 27.15, a continual dripping on a very rainy day and a contentious woman or alike. Now the reason why there are so many Proverbs on this is because there are a lot of women like this. And Solomon, you need to know, girl, Solomon tells Christian guys, all the godly guys, the guys who are going to be listening, because the godly ones are going to listen to Solomon, Solomon says, stay away from these girls. The queen mother, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a man thing, it's not a, a, a men against women thing. The queen mother, the mother of King Lemuel, she is the one who wrote Proverbs 31. And she tells her son, Prince Lemuel, to stay away from these contentious women, these women who are not at rest in their hearts. She tells her son that the woman that he wants is one who has the law of kindness on her tongue. There's only one way that happens. You see, because our tongue is the quickest thing that reveals who we really are. The tongue. And if there's a woman or a man who has the law of kindness on their tongue, that's a direct reflection of the heart. There's no way you can have that if your heart is not resting in God. And if you do not have the law of kindness on your tongue, when you get jostled, when somebody inconveniences you, when somebody steps across you, if what comes out is some venom and some anger and some prickliness, if it's hot and it burns like acid, remember that whatever comes out of you is what was already in you. It came out because you got bumped. What comes out of the jar, what was already in the jar. So the coming out, that's one issue. The real issue is, why is it in there? Why is what in your heart, why is it boiling? Why is it that far away from a rolling boil all the time? Why is it acidic? You see, that's the real issue. Somebody who has the law of kindness on their tongue means there is peace already in the heart. We need to understand something here. This is important for both for guys and for girls. Sins are sins for everybody. <clears throat> sins are sins for everybody, guy or girl. But certain sins carry the extra demerit of being either unmasculine or unfeminine. Let me give you an example. I'll start with the men. Self-pity. Feeling sorry for yourself. Lack of courage. Giving in to fear at critical moments. These are sins for every Christian. But for men, they carry the extra demerit of being unmasculine. These sins are unattractive in every Christian. But they are especially unattractive in a man. And that's the case with a contentious, controlling spirit for a woman. These things contentiousness, controllingness, manipulativeness, all this kind of stuff. It's sin for everyone, guy or girl. And it's unattractive in everyone, guy or girl. But for women, these sins carry the extra demerit of being unfeminine. Again, these sins are unattractive in all Christians, but they are especially unattractive in women. And so Solomon and the queen mother tell men to look for kindness in a woman, which you cannot obtain without this quiet and gentle spirit. That is, 
a heart that is at rest, is at peace, because it trusts in God. Kindness comes from one place, peace in the heart. And peace in the heart comes from one place, being yielded to God. And being yielded to God comes from one place, trust in God. So trust is what we keep coming back to. We need to ask ourselves then, what promotes trust and chases away fear, since fear is the arch enemy? What promotes trust and chases away fear? Now, this is really, really important for you to get, girls. There is only one thing that is going to chase away your fears and is going to produce trust and peace in your heart, and that is if you understand God's love for you. There is no other way. The Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 4, there is no fear in love. Do you hear that? There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Can I hear an amen on that one? Anybody know that? Fear involves torment. Perfect love chases out fear. There's nothing else that chases out fear. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. That applies to most all Christians. We still have times that we fear because we have not been made perfect in love. But this is especially true of young ladies in the teen years. There's a lot of insecurities and a lot of fears. God's love is the only thing that will enable you to really trust God, to really rest in God, and for you to begin to realize how valuable you are. It's the only thing that will enable you to adorn your heart, for your heart to become at peace and quiet and yielded. This is the beauty. This is precious in God's eyes that begins to then showcase everything else in your life. What do you need, girls, to understand, to know, and to experience God's love for you so that it casts out the fears? Even if you were by yourself, if there were no guys in the world, these same things would still be true, girls. This would still be what you need. So I want to give you several things that you need to understand in order to know God's love for you. Number one, God made you who you are. God made you who you are. Scripture teaches that you are who you are not by chance, but because God created you that way specifically. Psalm 139 says <clears throat> to God, You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. In Job chapter 10 it says, Your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity between body and soul and mind. This is what you need to understand, girls, except for sin, except for sin, every single thing about you is the result of careful, thoughtful, intimate, detailed work by God. In terms of your body, your mental abilities, your basic personality, 
God designed you exactly the way you are so that you can fulfill his plan for you and enjoy him to the fullest. In Jeremiah chapter 1, God says to Jeremiah what is true of all of us. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. So girls, this includes any kind of disabilities you may have, any limitations you may have, and any deficiencies that you may have. In Exodus chapter 4, Moses said to God that he couldn't go and do what God was calling him to do with Israel because he said, I'm not good at speaking. You don't really know me, God. I've got some limitations you don't know about. You need to get somebody else. I don't fit the bill. God said to him, who made man's mouth? Who makes the mute or the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Jesus encountered this in John chapter 9. There was a man who was born blind. And his disciples asked him, in, in a keeping with the current uh, majority theology of the day, they said, Rabbi, who sinned? Was it this man who sinned or was it his parents who sinned that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Remember, Jesus himself, the Bible tells us, had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Don't you think that if God calls somebody to be the savior and king of the world, that he would need some beauty to attract people to him. Don't you think that would be a handy thing? He had none, it says. That was part of God's perfect plan for his perfect son. And I ask you, how much did that limit Jesus? None at all. It did not limit him in any way. Paul had limitations from the accounts that we have. We don't have a lot of descriptions, but what, from what little we have, Paul was short and bald, and he didn't have much of a physical appearance, and he even refers to this. He said, people say about me, well, he, he's a powerful writer, but his personal appearance and his speech are contemptible, because that was a day of great orators. Oration and rhetoric and holding forth and speech making was highly prized. Don't you think that the apostle to the Roman world would need to have those traits to be the one who is carrying forth the gospel, the main one to the Gentile world? Don't you think? That's the way we would do it, wouldn't it? Paul had none of that. It did not limit him in any way. Then God afflicted him with a, some kind of limitation most of us think it had something to do with his eyes. But he beseeched Jesus three different times. It's basically, Lord, I could serve you a lot better if I didn't have this physical affliction. And Jesus told him, no, I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So that is the first thing, girls. God made you exactly the way that you are. Number two, God wants you to love yourself. God loves you just the way he made you. He wants you to follow his example. Think about it. The second greatest commandment 
according to Jesus, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me ask you a question. How can you fulfill that command to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't love yourself the way that God has made you? You see, loving yourself is a matter of trusting God. Because left to ourselves, every single one of us wants to change ourselves. Is there anybody here who's fully satisfied with the way you are? Please stand up. Everybody, our thoughts left to ourselves, want to change ourselves. We want to change our height. We want to change this. We want to change that. All kinds of things. But we need to stop that. That's a dead-end road. Loving yourself is a matter of trusting God. Think about David. He praised God not because he was handsome and athletic, but because God had personally fashioned him in every detail and personally supervised every detail of his life. David wrote Psalm 139. He doesn't praise him. I praise you, Lord, that I am a God among men. I am the envy of all men and the desire of all women. He praised God not for that. He praised God because God had fashioned him in every detail and was sovereign over every detail of his life. The God who made you girls is wise enough to know what is best for you, and he is loving enough to bring it about. Jeremiah chapter 29, God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Number three, now we get down to where the rubber meets the road in a real concrete way. Thank God for making you just the way he did. So fourth, I've said that God made you just the way that you are. Second, I said that you need to love yourself. You need to love the way that God has made you. Now, for most of us in a fallen world, that's not where we start. And we wonder, how can I get there? How can I produce this within me? This is how you do it. You thank God. You start thanking God for making you just the way he did. Now you say, well, I may say those words, but that's not how I'm going to feel. And that's okay. You say those words. Say those words. You pray those words to God every day. Maybe multiple times a day. You thank him for making you. You thank him for making you how tall you are. And making your face the way he did. And giving you the hair that he did. And the basic personality that you have. You thank him for all of these things. This is the first step in trusting God and in loving yourself. It is thanking God for making you exactly the way you are. This is the door that opens the way to true love and happiness, both with yourself and with others. And finally, number four, be a good steward of what God has made. That is, how he has made you and what he has given you. Develop and adorn your heart. Pursue this heart that God is talking about. And again, the first most practical thing is believe what God says. Don't believe the way you feel. The truth starts out outside of us. It's in the Word of God. The truth is not necessarily the way we feel. It's out here. You believe it. You affirm it. You confess it. And you thank God for making you exactly the way He did. Develop and adorn your heart primarily your first, your spirit, your mind, and your body. God wants you to adorn your body. He doesn't want you to be unadorned. To be completely unadorned as a woman is a denial of womanhood. But do everything in proportion 
and do everything out of gratitude to God and trust. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road, girls. This is what you need to do. This is how you cultivate this heart, and this is how this beauty begins to shine out of you. Because when it comes to falling in love, finding a great guy, getting married to a great guy, because most of us sense, whether we're guys or girls, we instinctively know that happiness is inextricably connected to loving and being loved. I mean, we, we know that. That's why we talk about it so much and write so many books about it and have so many movies about it. We know that. We're all in pursuit of that relationship. But God tells men, he says, you know, a really good wife, the kind of woman, the only kind who can make you happy, she's the gift of the Lord. So inheritances come from a father. A father can give you an estate. Only God can give you a really good woman. The same thing is true for you girls. There's a lot of things that other people can give you. Only God can give you a great man. A great man is the gift of God. And let me tell you this. He doesn't waste them. He doesn't waste them. Be God's girl. Be God's girl. That is the key. Now, I mentioned earlier this spirit of trust in God and yieldedness to him and the peace it produces. It is very attractive to men. And I want to remind you again, I have seen this play out. I have seen great guys who are great catches go for the girl who objectively is not as pretty because her heart was beautiful. And you may think, well, in my experience, that's not the way guys are. Guys are visually oriented. And you're right, guys are visually oriented. Because eyes are the organ of want. And guys want. They see and they want. Okay? And yes, a pretty girl is going to get their attention. But if he's a godly guy and she's not beautiful from the inside out, she's not going to keep his attention. He's going to heed the proverb where God tells him, the girl who is not walking with God, who does not trust God, who's not yielded and at peace, God says, do not let your heart desire her beauty. Okay? Here's a novel concept, young men, ruling over your heart. You say, well, I saw her. It was too late. God says, don't let your heart desire her beauty. And so, girls, you don't want to be the kind of girl that God is saying that about. You want to be the kind of girl that God is saying to the great guys, that's the kind of girl you ought to be attracted to. And let me tell you, I've seen this in lots and lots and lots of cases. As much as guys are attracted to physical beauty, the thing that gets Christian girls overlooked the most is not that. It is not physical beauty. It's the heart. It's who she is in the heart. That is the thing. Because this spirit that is stirred up in a girl, she's fearful. She's stirred up. She's not resting. She's not trusting God. And so she feels the, the compulsion to have to control and to have to grab and control her environment and control the people close to her because otherwise bad things might happen. 
that signals to the godly guys, and they're going to pick up on this signal, this will be a woman who will be hard to love and hard to live with every single day. And guys hate hassle, and they hate drama. That's the way God has made them. On the other hand, the girl who has this quiet and gentle spirit, what it communicates to a guy, and remember, it has nothing to do with personality. She can be vivacious and extroverted and all of those things, but that quiet and gentle spirit, what that says to a guy is, I can love this girl. This girl is easy to love and easy to live with. I can love her. I can live with her. And remember also one more thing. As much as there is the um, impulse that you feel to adorn the outside rather than starting on the inside and going out, I just want to reassure you one more time, girls, what I've told you several times, and that's this. What you really want is to be blessed and happy, right? You want to be blessed and happy. When I look out at all the different marriages I've ever known, the couples that were blessed and happy, they weren't the best-looking couples. They weren't. They weren't the smartest. They weren't the richest. And even when I look at uh, individuals who have uh, continued in singlehood for a good ways into their adult life, the happy ones have not been the best-looking, prettiest, smartest, best personality, most talented. They haven't been any of those things. The really happy and blessed ones I know have not been any of that stuff. Nobody would have held them up and said, oh, I want to look like them, and I want to have that kind of intelligence, and I want to have that kind of talent, because they haven't had that. What they have had without fail is they have been godly and content. They have been meek and quiet of spirit. They have been centered on God and trusting on God. And basically, if they're not married, saying, Lord, I would love to be married to a godly woman, a godly man, but Jesus, I want the life that you want to give to me. That's what I want above all things. That's the way they go through life, single or married. And those are the ones who are blessed and happy. And that's the only way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.